0: December 2022 Psychology Today article offers yet one more area to prepare for related to the holiday season, post-holiday letdown. I hope you're getting ready for it. It's a real phenomenon. The article says as much, observing, it's normal to feel a sense of disappointment and sadness when the holiday season is over. So if you have seen this in yourself in the past, and perhaps you suspect that this might be your future, you're not alone. Otherwise, we wouldn't make it into psychology today. What about those who feel a sense of disappointment and sadness when it comes to the holidays themselves? Not when they are over, but rather in the midst of all the celebration. They don a brave face, a forced smile to wish others the happiest of holidays, yet all the while questioning whether the season can measure up to what is hoped or imagined. They followed Uncle Walt's advice, in other words, and they wished upon a star, only discover that their dream didn't come true. Early 20th century poet Sarah Teasdale has a way of capturing the disconnect here between imagined dream and experienced reality in her poem, The Kiss. I hoped that he would love me, and he has kissed my mouth. But I am like a stricken bird, that cannot reach the south. For though I know he loves me, tonight my heart is sad. His kiss was not so wonderful as all the dreams I had. The experienced reality didn't match the imagined dream. And for that ancient community that pens Psalm 85 that we have here today, they long for an imagined future different from what their present experience affords. And what that future holds stands in stark contrast to the poet's not-so-wonderful kiss. Instead, it's a future where righteousness and peace will kiss, as we hear in verse 10. And unlike those post-holiday blues, it won't be followed by a letdown. But that much was still to come for these ancient writers. You'll recall that last week's psalm pointed to the fall of the ancient northern kingdom of Israel at the hands of the Assyrian Empire sometime around 722 BCE. This week's text possibly harkens to a later time, a time that followed the Babylonian exile of the ancient southern kingdom of Judah. And for those not familiar with this story of exile, here's the overly simplified version of that historical event. In the late 7th century BCE, the ancient Babylonian Empire was expanding. And they began exerting a territorial dominance over and against the southern kingdom of Judah. In an effort to crush resistance and keep the smaller nation under their thumb, beginning in the early 6th century, the invaders began transporting people from Jerusalem to Babylon. Ranking officials, members of the royal family and their court, religious leaders and prophets, all were relocated in this forced displacement. From the vantage point of the biblical writers Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their unfaithfulness and that's what we read in first Chronicles chapter 9 second part of verse 1 and this not without warning you could reach back to the Torah namely Deuteronomy chapter 28 through the prophets as well where we learn the possibility of exile is a consequence of unfaithfulness and this exile would be no short ordeal. Now, depending on how one dates this event, the nation was in exile for 50 years to, if you use Jeremiah's number, 70 years. And that's a significant season if you think about it. I'm not even 50 yet, right? That's like my entire life come next October. <laughs> but that's a significant season to be under such a shroud, or more likely, a life sentence. And those experiences this firsthand are not given a sense from this kind of link that they will be coming back. If you're living in that kind of exile, you're not coming back. You're not, going, you're not going home. So when restoration does, in fact, follow such an event, the language used to describe such a return is rather telling. And we see that right from the start of our psalm. Favorable. Fortunes restored. Even the words forgave and the related pardoned that show up in verse 2. These all are references pointing to God's past action on behalf of God's people following the exile. Though they even suppose these might reach further back. Scholars looked at this and said these could very easily be pointing the way to much earlier events as well. God's mercy, though, here is extended to an earlier generation. Perhaps God might take similar action in the psalmist's own day. And that's what's hoped here. This appeal continues in verses 3 through 7, culminating in the psalmist praying, Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Now this back-to-the-future pattern here is one that the ancients have employed and is picked up in the scriptures uh, at other places. One of my favorites is Psalm 77. Does anybody here love Psalm 77? Is there any Psalm 77 lovers here? I see one over there. Bless you, brother. We're going to start a fraternal order now with Psalm 77 lovers. But in Psalm 77, the psalmist is troubled and cries out. They're seeking comfort and asking if God's steadfast love is no more. They're having an existential crisis is what's happening in that moment. But in that same space, that psalmist then will confess, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I'll remember your wonders of old. That's what he says in Psalm 77, 11. And not just ancients, but we moderns do this same kind of thing, where we reach back to the past. Where? Well, in church speak, or in the church life, we do this in our reading of Scripture together as community. Important fast of the life of faith, N.T. Wright here will observe, we rehearse the mighty acts of God for God's glory when we do so. So it's bigger than you might have imagined. And this comes with benefit, of course, there's an online essay actually posted at NT Write Online that identifies the benefit here of this communal reading. It says, It reminds us what God has done in the past, opens our eyes to what God is doing in the present, and provides hope and assurance for what God will do in the future. That sounds a lot like what our psalmist is doing here in the psalm. So keep reading, keep gathering, keep going to your Bible study, keep coming to worship on Sunday. Keep gathering with friends and family and reading the scripture aloud because there is a great benefit there. It's important to framing our current experience within a larger context. And it provides a much-needed perspective. But add to this another practice that would be worthwhile as an exercise for your Advent journal. What would be a worship service in Advent with a plug for the Advent journal? It's a great place for you to reflect on where God has been at work in your story, but also possibly even thinking about the larger story. Think of writers like Hebrews 11, where they write about the larger story of those and their stories of connection to the lineage of the faithful through the generations. But in addition to all of this, these ancient stories, we're also to hear something more in the psalm here this morning. We hear the word that comes back. You've got the prayer that goes out from the psalmist right from the beginning, that champions the things that God has accomplished in the past and is hoping that they come about in the present. There's a hopefulness that God will act just as God has acted previously. But there's also a word that comes back. It's a word that comes from God. It says in verse 8, God speaks peace to his people. God speaks peace to his people. And God's people, the faithful, are identified as those who turn to him in their hearts. Now this verse, verse 8, actually has a second reading to it. And if you have an NRSV, they have chosen that those who turn to them in their hearts, which is the reading that comes from the Greek Septuagint. But there is a reading from the Hebrew that says those who turn from their folly. Two kind of different ideas there. But if you think about them, both would mean be important towards restoration. The second thing is surely God's salvation is at hand. We see that in verse 9. Again, for those... Who fear him, and there is the related glory will dwell in the land. The words that come back, the response that comes back from God, the promise of a future in which God's presence is with God's people once more and in a powerful way. These are all in response to the prayer for God's covenant promises to be fulfilled, that God's steadfast love would be shown once more. And for salvation to come. Because what comes with them is peace. And the essence of that peace can only be captured in poem. And we see that in verses 10 through 13. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground. And righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him. And will make a path for his steps. This last verse here, that righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps, it's a bit like another text. One of comfort extended to an audience that was also returned from exile. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That text comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The same text is applied to the efforts of John the Baptist, who in Mark chapter 1, takes up the ministry of calling people to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's restoration, turn from folly, returning to God-type language. It's making the path with the steps of the one who is to come and bring comfort, or who we hear in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Here is your God. This, of course, is all applied to the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Mark 1.1 says these stories, these connections. And those earliest Christian communities who knew such coming, long for such a coming again, and the future that Peter identifies when he writes, we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness is at home. 2 Peter 3.13. We wait. We wait. That's Advent language. We're waiting for something that's coming. Do you think the world is waiting for such a future? Do you think our neighbors are waiting for this type of future where these things come together? Or are we a unique bunch? Well, this past week, you might have seen the announcement of the 2024 color of the year. Do you see this? Did you read this article? The color of the year. Pantone 13-1023. Peach fuzz. (laughs) Peach fuzz made it. I can't believe it. They made it years ago they had that dog show where the beagle won and everybody was excited about the beagle winning we're excited the peach fuzz one and if you thought we were just talking about another crayon in the box when we're talking about peach fuzz and colors here think again pantone's website identifies this 13 10, peach fuzz as a velvety gentle peach tone whose all-embracing spirit enriches mind body and soul you had no idea and a quote from Pantone Color Institute's executive director yes, that is a job. Leatrice Iseen further expands on the choice here of, again, 13,1023 peach fuzz, when she notes, "In seeking a hue that echoes our innate yearning for closeness and connection, we chose a color radiant with warmth and modern elegance, a shade that resonates with compassion, offers a tactile embrace and effortlessly bridges the youthful with the timeless." That's peach fuzz, my friend. That is peach fuzz. I couldn't have said it better myself. Do you, think, do you think the world is longing for righteousness to come? For that future? Well, also this past week, Uversion, a popular Bible app, which is, which is globally popular, announced this past week the Bible verse that was most highlighted, bookmarked, and shared in 2023 by their global community. And that verse is the same verse that has been selected the last three consecutive years. It's the most downloaded, most highlighted, most shared. Isaiah 41:10. "So do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." Of course, this same verse has held the top spot, like I said, for three consecutive years, but has been a, a beloved text. For millennia and it's spoken to a people returning from exile it's a reminder of God's comfort to them so between peach fuzz and this comforting verse it sounds like we are all longing for the kiss of righteousness and for peace to come for the meeting of steadfast love and for faithfulness and so our song that emanates from this place is a song that we lead out as choir directors and as participants in the choir itself, as heaven and nature sings, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. The word that comes back. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee O Israel. May that be our song in this generation and this day and every day of our lives. Amen. Friends, let us pray. Lord, as we come to a text like Psalm 85 and as we ponder the text all the more, your transformative love, your grace emanates from that text. Think about those lives of faithlessness and folly. The pursuits that we chase and yet here we look back to a past to those who were drifted and exiled and we can point to places of salvation where peace where love and comfort come where righteousness is exhibited And so lord we pray in our own generation as we seek out to find solutions and care, as we seek out comfort and peace in colors and shared texts, Lord, our prayer and our longing continues to be for you, for your very presence, that God is with us and would remain with us and would transform this world and our lives. Only you can do this type of work, Lord, and so we trust in you and we love you and we pray for that regeneration. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.